fine. I, I don't know. Try it. I don't. I don't need a cushion. I've sat here and done four hours. I'm, I'm okay. Should I tell my cushion story? This might break people's hearts or make them laugh. You can you can tell a cushion story if that's what you want to do. I mean, we're so, not we're not anti-cushion on this show. I don't know if people know this, but we are hobbits. We are short, yeah. Yeah, uh, we are tiny little people. <laughs> <laughs> when I was. I, f- I, f- um, I always um, feel angry when you say that, knowing that you are a couple of inches taller than me. <laughs> <laughs> We're tiny people, and Joe, tiniest of all. <laughs> when we were children, I don't know why I'm including you in this, I just assume. Okay. When I was a child, hmm. I, wasn't a, I wasn't an average-sized child either. I was a tiny child. Oh, yeah, yeah, so I was we were tiny. Very little people. Um and I was so little as a in primary school, in like year four, that I needed a cushion <laughs> just, just to prop me up high <laughs> enough to get to the table <laughs> with the rest of the children. <laughs> Those weren't big tables. They weren't at all. No. Um, so I, I had my special seat with my special cushion. <laughs> That's great. Why is that a sad story? That's a lovely story. I, I don't know. I, I, I said you were going to go, and then one sweet, day but... someone had taken my cushion. No, the, it was quite nice. We went to a quite a nice primary school. Mm. There's only like ten children, wasn't there? It was just such. It was so tiny. Hey up! I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a podcast where I will attempt to teach a friend of mine a lesson from British history, focusing specifically on the lesser known and less believable people and events that the history books tend to leave out. So let's get started with. This story takes place on the precipice of the Victorian era, on the cusp. And your three, three words. Castle. Yep. Flame. Mm-hmm. Weather. So vague, your three words. Yeah. I hate it. Sun. Planet. Shoes. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, it was something that I started with in episode one. And I thought it'd have more to it than it has over the past nearly year. But now I don't feel like I can't do it. Yeah, we could be more it's almost specific. like superstitious. No, because I don't actually want you to get it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you to. You leave me no options. No. Well, castles. And your three words are words. <laughs> Sentences. Sheep. Do you want me to just kick off? Well, go on. So. Do you want to start again? No. Okay. I'm sticking with it. The small town of Lewis. I cannot remember what you said. Three words. What did you... Wait. I've got sheep and bloody words stuck in my head. Castle. Castle flame. Yep. Words. Weather. (laughs) Weather. (laughs) See, you say, oh, what was this? You, you immediately forget them anyway. <laughs> it's like, I'm taking it away. Okay. No, don't change. So, the small town of Lewis in Sussex, despite Ooh. only having a population of less than 20,000 people, Has holds a, prison. a British record. Now, it's about seven miles away from Brighton, so have you ever been? Yeah, I used to walk there. You used to walk to Lewis? Mm-hmm. Really? Across the Downs fantastic then you should know all of this anyway i planted um flowers on the embankments of the cemetery there wow 
Yes, helping the rangers. Maybe, maybe <laughs> you'll know this story then. Okay. This this could be disappointing. It has a prison very close. Okay. I don't talk about the prison. It's called Lewis so Prison. That's extra information for yeah. our listeners. So, the town, as I've said, sits seven miles inland from the mouth of the River Ouse, where it flows through the South Downs. Mm-hmm. As a result of the hills rising on either side of the river, it proved to be the perfect place to build a fort in order to control who could sail into the interior of the county of Sussex and who needed to be gently discouraged via arrows, rocks, and other persuasive items. Insults. Yeah. Yeah. A, well, a well-aimed <laughs> <Insult>. comedic takedown. <laughs> you, sir! Are you aware your pantaloons are of the worst fashion? <laughs> it's like a specialist warrior, isn't it? <laughs> he, just, he doesn't have a weapon. No, it's Jeffrey. He can just pinpoint people's... <laughs> people's insecurities. <laughs> yeah. He just goes, ears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back. I'm no, discouraged, yeah. sir. <laughs> That's not fair. Yeah, comes back with pinned ears. <laughs> Nostrils. Oh, God. <laughs> See, you can beat that. You just come back with a mask. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. His powers. They don't work against masks. Right. What was I up to? <laughs> the River Ooze. The River Ooze that... Yeah, they, they built a castle. No, I said they built a fort. A fort. They built a fort they built to, a to fort. control To control people, people. coming yeah. in Sussex. There is evidence that the first fort was built there in the Iron Age. However, it was Alfred the Great. He was great, wasn't he? I don't know. Alfred the Great, King of Wessex. Yeah, he was, yeah. He was good. These are names that I know, but I know nothing okay. about them. He, it was him who fortified the town as one of his network of burrs to combat the Vikings. So Alfred was quite good at fighting the Vikings, and he realised that what they needed was a series of fortified towns that all the local people could go to and then fight the Vikings from there because he'd learned that the Vikings weren't particularly good in siege situations. Right. And they were they were basically a mobile force. They liked to harry, take everything they could before people got sorted and then leave. So if you were able to get all of your population into these key sites heavily fortified... They couldn't <clears> outlast you. Yeah. Right. You'd, you'd be able to sort of have the advantage over them. Um, after the Normans invaded... That's 1066. Uh, they decided that the town could really do with a castle as well. You know, it is a very... What's impo- a fort made of? A fort, it's just not quite a castle. It's, you know, like when you're playing something like Command and Conquer or something where you can upgrade your system? Yeah. It's like it's forts down one. here, castles up there, yeah. Forts in my head are wooden. Possibly. Well, I mean, the Iron Age one probably would have been. So it's like you have a, a perimeter of, like, pikes. Yeah. Like big logs that are spiked, and then you have... You're thinking basically just a palisade, aren't you? Just a, yeah, palisade, yeah. that's a palisade. Yeah, okay. that's what I was saying. That might not be the right word. That's what that's what I've pulled out of my head anyway. Yeah. But the Normans, they thought it is a very important strategic place. I was thinking spiky village. Yeah. <laughs> so we best, you know, up upgrade. Yeah. The fort might have done way back when, but we've got siege weapons now. Yeah. This is the Norman times. We've got big siege weapons, so we need something a bit more robust. And they decided they'd build a castle. So they built one on top of a mot, um or man-made hill. So right. a mot in a mot and bailey castle is, the mot is the man-made hill. Right. And then you put your keep on top of that. Cool. And you've got, yeah. Um, so you have a mot with a moat? <laughs> the moat would be outside the mot, yes. Is a, is a moat like a a natural 
Um, Moats again would be man-made. You'd... No, but is it is it man-made because you've dug all dug it all out to make a mart? Possibly. Is it like a? I mean, you've a got byproduct to... of a mart is a, is moat. a moat potentially. Yeah. I'd have to look into that, but it makes sense on first reading, doesn't yeah. it? Because you've, you've got to put that dirt somewhere. Yeah, you may as well make it uniform and fill it with water. Aye. That's a fantastic idea. I don't know about that, but what I do know is that they made this mart and they built a keep on it and then they decided it wasn't in the right place. So they decided that they needed to build another mart a bit to the south and they built another castle on top of that. Are we in Lewis still? Yeah. So right. Lewis Castle has two mots. God, I did not know this. And this is highly unusual, but it isn't unfortunately unique as there is one other castle in Britain that also has two mots. Windsor. <coughs> no. <Nope. laughs> um. Lincoln. Yes, that was the one I think. So, you know, Lincoln. the Normans, it was almost a, a claim to fame for Lewis there, but not quite because... Which Lincoln, was better though. Well, we'll have to go to both and decide. Now. I'm pretty sure the people of Lincoln will say Lincoln Castle's better. Yeah. Uh, and the people of Lewis will probably say... I don't think Lewis one's going to win because I didn't notice it when I was there. You didn't notice the castle? No. That's a bit worrying. I, I wasn't looking for a castle there. It was quite an important castle because it was from double-motted Lewis Castle that King Henry III led an army into battle against the rebellious Simon de Montfort. On May 14th, 1264, King Henry was confident as he had an army twice the size of Simon's, including 500 cavalry led by his energetic son, Prince Edward. So he's, he's got the numbers, he's got the yeah. mounted forces, should be an easy victory. And the enthusiasm. Yeah. The prince, he immediately charged at the left side of Simon's forces, and this resulted in a small number breaking from their lines and decided to flee towards the nearby village of Offham, as in we're going to get Offham. Um, for, yeah, for reasons best known to himself. There's three phones that did combust. <laughs> How that. bad that was. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the prince, for reasons best known to himself, decided he would temporarily leave the battlefield to pursue this small group of fleeing soldiers for nearly four miles, mm. abandoning his father with all the cavalry in the process. Well, the cavalry went with Edward? Yeah. So he took. Oh, because you follow the. Yeah, you the follow commander. the. Le- yeah. And he went. After them, then <laughs> five hundred cavalry, just, and off they rode into the distance with King Henry just sort of looking at them like, "Fuck!" <laughs> oh, oh shit! So suddenly, without cavalry, the king found himself at a disadvantage, as Simon had been able to take advantage of the local geography and had lined his army up at the top of Offham Hill. So, as if the Star Wars prequels have taught us anything. Having the high ground is very important in a battle. Um, Henry, despite the fact that his enemy had the high ground, decided he would march his forces uphill, trusting to the fact that he had a lot more men. So even the, the disadvantage of being fighting upwards would be sort of... Um, compensated. Yeah, compensated for by the fact that he just had so many men. He, uh, but he was beaten back. Ooh. He was beaten back off the hill. Are they just rolling rocks at him? <clears throat> I wish. I don't think there were that many big, conveniently placed boulders. Um, no, it's, it was just the fact that when you're fighting uphill, everything's more of a struggle. You have less reach, whereas those people above you <laughs> can just <laughs> wail on you. You know, 
it's such such an advantage that they beat the king back down the hill. When I was a, a, a 12, 13, this is a pre. This is a disgusting story now. I haven't thought of this in years. Mm. But um, we used to have spit fights. <laughs> we I remember one spit fight where I was at the top of the tree, <laughs> and, the, and the guy I'm having a spit fight with is at the bottom of the tree. Um, that seems very unfair. Yeah, you couldn't do this now. COVID's around. Should <laughs> you shouldn't under- do it anyway. <laughs> it's gross, isn't it? <laughs> that being said, a friend of mine once tried to poo on someone <laughs> and missed by maybe a foot, which is <laughs> too close for comfort. Yeah, you could have got some splashback. Yeah, the same guy. Um, That's hilarious. Went that, how, how did that start? I have no what idea. Age? No, this was we were we were in late teens. Oh my god, this was late teens. This was old enough to know better. The shit out of a tree <laughs> onto someone. It's like, what happens if you hit the person? That's it. That's the day over. Yeah. They're going home. It's not a day over for you, though. You're a no, legend. You... <laughs> <laughs> you can just continue to sit in your tree. Jesus. So anyway, going back to the king, King Henry III. Might cut that out. It's a bit yeah. disgusting. So, king Henry III, he's been beaten back off the hill. Yeah. Off from hill. Um... And he eventually had to sound the retreat and he sort of fought his way, rear guard action all the way back towards Lewis. A knackered Prince Edward and his cavalry, they managed to return just in time to join in the surrender. Yeah, he wasn't very smart, Edward, was he? How old is he? Um, He was quite young. I think he was early 20s at this point. Um, Yeah, it's it's the brazenness of youth. He just... Yeah, we're winning. Charged over after them and didn't really think of the rest of the battle. It's just would like, you have, what do you think they would? They would have had a better shot. Let's right. put it that way. So the the, the, the armies were quite equal. Uh, no, Simon's was smaller. Simon de Montfort's was smaller, but he'd taken the tactical advantage, and the king had gone with it and, and fought lost him. All the numbers. Yeah, I mean, I, d- I, d- I don't know if the king felt he had to because Simon was waiting for reinforcements, and it was a case of either I defeat him now. Or I wait in the castle and we get surrounded and then it's a siege and blah, blah, blah. And also he's the king and, you know, you've got to show leadership in those situations. Mm. You can't be... Unfortunately, you you don't really have the option of being timid because then people start... Especially it's somebody who's trying to overthrow you, essentially. Somebody who's trying to, you know, rebel against you. You can't go, okay, we'll just play it cautious because other people are going to start to go, well... George hmm." the Cowardly King... (laughs) Is it George? Henry. Henry, Henry the Third. Cowardly, cowardly Henry. No! <laughs> Brave Henry. Brave Henry, go now. Going up the hill, okay? Good. Uh, so, after capturing the king, Simon de Montfort was able to enact his master plan for restoring the fortunes of the British nobility. He forced the king to void all debts owed to Jewish people, as Simon was apparently a massive anti-Semite. Uh, on the plus side, he also introduced parliamentary reforms that set us on the way to our very special type of democracy. So when I say he was an anti-Semite, he was um, a crusader. He His dad had died on the crusades in the Holy Land, and it was more a case of he was um, trying to rigidly stick to a very specific crusader-style Christianity. Right, so anything didn't fit that. Uh, yeah, and as has always been the case... Jewish people in Britain were enough, they had enough other 
about them that they made a ready-made scapegoat for him and right. he could drum up support by going well a lot of people owe money to to jewish merchants and to jewish tradesmen so if you void all of those debts you know i, I can get loads of the nobility on side just for that right so it seemed like it was a gambit of we'll attack this did it work well it did he got the support of the other barons and he was able to overthrow the king and then start to enact some d- democratic reform he's he's sort of um held up now as the person who called the first parliament in english history so the first parliament happened under simon or proto-parliament so we've got that to thank him for uh simon he was unfortunately quickly corrupted by his newfound power and influence and was killed in battle the very next year apparently learning nothing from his victory at lewis he charged up a hill towards the forces of Prince Edward at Evesham. So Prince Edward had learned from his, don't don't have half your army gallop away after a few well, strugglers. He, well, that's he, what he Edward learned was from a distance. Mm. I was watching his dad in time. Get pounded, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Next time, I'm going to be those guys, yeah. 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 <clears throat> but this one, it was even more one-sided. In fact, it was so one-sided, it was described by one sassy historian as a murder. Because battle, there was none. Was that in a book? Yeah, it was great. Um, so <laughs> the other thing was, as I've said before, nobles, um, generally when they fought, if you had another knight or another noble person, you wouldn't kill them, they'd surrender to you, um, and you'd ransom them back. But <clears throat> Simon, he was under no illusions that he was going to be murdered, and um, Prince Edward actually had a small squad and they were literally hunting for him on the battlefield right so he knew you know it was either win or be annihilated there was no there was no coming back for this because there was no bargaining he wasn't yeah. a bargaining he, he'd stood up against the king and he tried to overthrow you know the established order and they were like even though when you beat us you know you didn't kill the king you didn't kill the prince you tried to sort of keep them in as um, heads of state and tried to push through some reforms if they catch you, and they did catch him, and he was hacked to pieces. Um, Yeah, so after he was killed, Prince Edward had Simon's head chopped off, and his testicles hung on either side of his nose like a horrific (laughs) moustache. As you do. Oh, you were so giddy to say that. It's, it's just one of those things you don't hear very often. I mean, there's, there's that was in a book as well. Horrific moustache. No, that's mine. Yeah. Um, there was there's something about desecrating a corpse on the battlefield. You know, chopping off someone's head. It's How always do you been attach there. it. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like that took a level of foresight, a level of planning. Someone had like small nails or something to do, do think this. The people who did it found it funny or were actually disgusted at the end. Like they found the idea of it funny, as we did. They must have found it funny because... We're like, oh no, this is great. Because, though, one of the nobles on the winning side, Sir Roger Mortimer, decided the head and testicle combo was such a good laugh, (laughs) he sent it to his wife as a gift. (laughs) He took Simon de Montfort's head, complete with testicles, popped it in a box, and had it sent to his wife. Oh my God. With a note saying... Saw this and thought of you. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah. And she loved it. <laughs> yeah, she had it mounted, put yeah, on the yeah. wall. Still there to this day in the Mortimer <laughs> country estate. That's his uh, family arms. <laughs> <laughs> the balls on the face. An interesting story indeed. But a British king... Is this the story of the testicles? 
<laughs> we're going to follow it through the ages. No, we're, we're, we're in Lewis. Yeah, right. it's, this is about Lewis. This is about the town. But a British king being beaten in battle by one of his own subjects it isn't exactly a one-off occurrence um, in Britain. Many times our kings have been beaten uh, in battle. Someone needs to stop it. Yeah. Uh, although... I won't have it. Elizabeth it. II, undefeated. She's well, never she's been queen. beaten in battle. Good for her. What about in Falklands? Well, first of all, she wasn't in that battle. Who are we talking about? Queen Elizabeth II, our current reigning queen. I, oh, I mean, I say Personally, that. not, not yeah, her yeah. army. Yeah. Right. Um, another famous... Has she ever been to a battle? No. Not even to watch? No. Pretty sure she's not been to a battle. She must have been to a country that we were at war with. No. Not at the time she went. Mm. It's a bit dodgy. We need to know. get the f- we need to get those facts checked. No, I don't. Considering her job was very much PR, you know, and it's about showing continuity and showing the the benefits of a stable sort of you know parliamentary democracy with a, a monarch at the head. I don't think they'd send her into active war zones because <laughs> if she dies, a bit of a PR disaster, <laughs> isn't it? Because all there are cameras on her at all times, so you'd have it in slow motion if she was <laughs> taken out by a sniper or hit by an IED or whatever. <laughs> Probably right. Bloody hell. Probably. Anyway, another famous event connected with Lewis, and one that continues to this day. <gasps> oh, a tradition. Yep. It's like a... Oh, God, what is it? Did they go... F- something to do with fire? It is. Go on. Uh, You're so close. Oh, God. It's a fire festival. Yes. I can't remember much more. The Lewis Bonfire. Yeah. Oh, Kate's been to the Lewis Bonfire. If you go to the town on November 5th, alongside some of the largest bonfires you have ever seen, you'll find the townspeople carrying 17 burning crosses through the streets. But don't worry. This isn't more (laughs) anti-Semitism or racism. It's done to honour the 17 Protestant martyrs who were burned at the stake in the town between 1555 and 1557. They were just part of the 300 or so people who were killed so that Mary I, or Bloody Mary, as she's fondly remembered, uh, could show that she was super serious about England returning to the Catholic fold. Right. So... How's that tradition still going? It's amazing that you can keep it going for 500 years. These poor people burned as heretics for believing in God in the wrong way were also honoured <clears throat> yearly by the burning of a massive effigy of Pope Paul V. This takes place alongside other life-size effigies of whoever the townspeople really hate that year. David Cameron, Osama Bin Laden and Boris Johnson have all been burned at various times. Cool. Joe. <clears throat> <laughs> so, yeah. they and these you are... stop drinking double cream? I'm taking your double cream off you. Okay. These are massive, massive effigies, like ridiculously big um although it's now a fun-filled evening for all it used to be terrifying well there used to be as you can understand um quite an anti-catholic sentiment because it was you know celebrating some protestant martyrs um to the point where extra police were drafted in from london uh, to help police the bonfire boys in the 1850s because they were basically using it as an excuse for a yearly riot right um yeah <laughs> why wouldn't you um, well-known instigator of religious violence, Ian Paisley. You remember him? Reverend Ian Paisley. He tried to revive the Catholic hate in 1980 by turning up to hand out anti-Catholic leaflets, 
but the good people of Lewis showed what they thought of him the following year by burning him in effigy yeah. alongside the Pope, which, as a Protestant, he would have hated. Yeah. <laughs> You're saying I'm equal to the Pope now? <laughs> yep. Yeah, go on, enjoy that. I cannot do justice to the event because it looks insane. They start it off by having races where they drag barrels of burning pitch through the streets. And there are men's races and women's races. Um, and it looks very dangerous. Uh, there's a guy who will do a speech while dressed as the Pope and will have things flung at him. He's either a Pope or a bishop. And right. people will throw fireworks at day. him. Yeah, to this day. Obviously, they had to miss last year's. But my my suggestion to anyone is to watch some videos of it on YouTube because it looks amazing. I'm going to ask Kate about it when I go. Uh, yeah. And it is probably the most manic bonfire celebration in the country, but it can't claim to be the biggest in the UK because the biggest bonfire ever seen, that honour goes to Workington, who built a bonfire in 1993 that was a world record height of 122 feet and 6 inches. Before it was lit? Yeah, for reasons. Yeah, it's Workington. Yeah. It's a very Kate-centred episode, this. Okay, well... She, she works in Workington. <laughs> well, there you go. But 122 foot and 6 inches at a total cost of £22,000, which is, in today's money, which is a weird thing to have to say, considering this is 1993, um, £46,000 equivalent in today's money, which is strange because, as Kate will well know, the town has a quarter of all residents falling below the posit- poverty line, yeah, yeah. yet they are literally burning money... <laughs> You know, well, we did have the world's the, the, biggest bonfire. They were they were very strange people in Workington because that part, this part of the country in Cumbria, there's no because it's a peninsula hmm. and they're right on the edge of that peninsula and all the manufacturing and mining and all that, that hmm. brought people out there in the first place has stopped hmm. and there's no traffic through. There's no yeah. There's no reason to go to work into yeah. So it's like it, they've got their own customs that have developed over the years with no input from anybody else. Hmm. So they're a very strange bunch, um, and fucking rock hard. Um, and they, they they have a they have a festival each year called Upsy Up and Ups Uppies and Downies. I think I've told you about. Is this, this the before. football? Yeah, this is yeah. where they uh, in Easter like. It so they're one of the places where they still do the, goes the over three original days. football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've got to, t- and it's on a hill, and the people from the bottom of the, the people near the sea have got to try and get the ball to the top of the thing where the rich people are, and it's a whole thing. And but it's like a proper rugby scrum. Oh Everyone yeah, gets completely wasted and beats the shit out of each other. I haven't been to it. This is what I've heard but I'll from be going people. next year, COVID permitting. Okay, no. But yeah, so. They, they lit, you know, 46 grand was sunk into building a world record bonfire. And although they still hold the British record, alas, they were beaten and they don't hold the world record. Who has a world? I believe it's Japan. Oh, you don't know the research? No, no, no. It, all I know is it, it was... It's not the, British, so I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> they, took, they took the record away from Britain. It's not Japanese history. It is now a foreign-held record. <laughs> foreign. Um, as you can imagine... I love that your interest stops. <laughs> At that point. Yeah. Once oh, it crosses great. any borders away from Britain. No, that's it's not like true. It's like it doesn't I'm, exist. Some of them I'm like tenuous link to Britain's enough, but there needs to be some link there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, back to Lewis though, Lewis. 
Um, as you can imagine, for a town built where a big river is forced through a narrow channel, Lewis is susceptible to the occasional natural disaster. In 2000, flooding... Oh. Hmm? Sorry, I went the other way. What were you going for? Drought. Oh, drought. No, no. Flooding. Yeah. So in 2000, flooding forced over 600 homes to be evacuated. And this event is now simply known as the Flood. Mm. Though it shouldn't have been too surprising for the people of Lewis, as major floods were recorded in 1772, 1801, 1810, 1839, 1841, was much more unusual, if not unique. Oh, unique. a meteor strike. Mm. Oh, that's a good Earthquake. guess. Earthquake. No. Uh, unique. Unique to the world. Uh, definitely unique to Sussex. Oh, um, fire. No. We fire. just covered the bonfire. Wait, you said them before. Words. <laughs> what was it? I said weather. Weather. Oh. <laughs> I got excited. Was it a weather event? It was a weather event. A so, hurricane. Prior to 1850, <sighs> Europe was experiencing a mini ice age. It had been going since around 1600, and people were much more used to extreme snow and ice during winters, even as close to the south coast Avalanche. as Lewis. No. The winter of 1836 was a particularly bad one, and on Christmas Eve, a storm blew in from the northwest. Gale force winds and driving snow began creating massive snowdrifts up to 10 foot deep across no southern way. England. 10 foot. 18 what? It's 1836. That's going to make you Christmas fun. Yeah. You go to bed Christmas Eve, you wake up, what's Santa brought you? I can't get out of my house. You're just climbing up your own chimney a la Santa Claus just to get out. 10 foot of snow, okay? The poor people living in a row of cottages on South Road in Lewis, known as Boulders Row, must have been counting their blessings as the massive 500 foot chalk cliff behind them, inventively called Cliff Hill, provided a perfect windbreak, protecting them from the worst of the weather and allowing them to enjoy their pauper's Christmas in slightly less horrific conditions. Yeah, less noise. But the snow kept piling up, and through Christmas night... All through the house. <laughs> snow drifts. Well, yeah. So, by by the end of Christmas night, by the morning, the locals noticed that an overhanging snow coroness... Coroness. <laughs> I just went weird. Uh, Do you say... Are you trying to say corners? No, no. Let me start again. <laughs> <laughs> but the snow kept piling up through Christmas night, and by the morning, the locals noticed that an overhanging snow cornice had developed on the top of Cliff Hill. So do you know what a snow cornice is? It's like a stalactite of well, ice. Well, no, basically... It's basically a cliff where... It's an over, it creates an overhang of snow, so as the wind's constantly blowing the snow off the top, it starts to pack and pack and pack, so you end up with a massive sort of lip of snow the further and further over. Yeah, you have a ceiling of snow that has more snow piled on it, but obviously... The only thing that's holding that together is the fact that it's frozen together. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, so you should, at some point... So the snow up there on, on this snow cornice was now up to 20 foot deep, it was estimated. What? And it was casting an ominous shadow over the tiny, tiny cottages. Boulders Row. Boulders Row, yeah. 
the owners of the cottages were South Morling Parish, and they could see the obvious danger. So uh, stayed. No, no, they, these were the owners of the cottages. These weren't the people living in them. Um, and they, they actually did their duty as, uh, you know, the, the landlords and went out early on Boxing Day and went up to their tenants living in these tiny, very crushable cottages uh, and said, look, you need to move out just until the snow is melted. I'm sure it'll be fine, but can we just get you into yeah. the town? Unfortunately, if, what I'm saying. They're not leaving. if you're practically destitute, it's kind of difficult to fund a hotel stay. And most of the residents declined to move. Saying and was... the, the rest of the... T- is the, yeah, they're in, um, they're in extreme danger because this thing could collapse at any moment. Mm. But it's not like the rest of the town aren't dealing with 10 foot plus of snow. Oh, they're dealing with snow, but this is the only place at which it's, you know, suspended above you. No, I understand that, but... Right, you need to leave these houses and go and find help from people that are struggling with their own difficulties. Oh, yeah. Weather. Yeah, it's, it's not like this is a nice... Uh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the snow is everywhere. That's true. Everyone's in the saying. shit. They're just at the extreme end. Yeah, as, as is normal for the paupers, yeah. 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 Um, but they, they just said, look, I can see it's up there, but you've got no proof that anything bad's going to happen if we stay put. So I'm not, I'm not risking it. You know, if I move out, you'll move somebody else in. I know what this is. It's like you it's, can get more money for this. But it's made. Of, it's made of ice, and it's above your head. Mm. And at some point, that ice is going to melt. Yeah. So then it'll be like rain. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Yeah, it's fine. I can't actually argue that logic. <laughs> it's fine. If 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 anything, you know, it would be nice to have a little bit of fresh water. Yeah. Just for once, to wash off the stink of poverty <laughs> that I obviously have, with perfect comedy timing. A massive pile of snow then fell from the cliff top and completely destroyed a nearby timber yard, smashing the building to kindling and washing the whole thing into the swollen river ooze. As he said that. No, it actually, I've got to be honest, it happened later on in the afternoon, but I do like the idea of the <laughs> residents staying completely deadpan, <laughs> refusing to acknowledge something that's just happening over their shoulder before getting back to the conversation. I think that's human nature, you know. <laughs> Nothing bad's going to happen. <laughs> And anyway, you've been raising our rent too much. Now that I've got you here, can we have some conversations? So even with this very clear demonstration of what could happen if the cornice fell, only a few of the residents decided to seek alternative accommodation, with most actually managing to go to bed and fall asleep. That's, I can't believe that was recorded. I'll believe you. Well, they must have because they stayed in those houses. That's craziness. They went back. So having, you know, heard the concerns that people have, looked up, saw part of it fall and take out a building. Just like there is now a patch of fresh snow, virgin untouched snow, where there used to be a timber yard (laughs) full of timbery things and machines, I imagine. Um, And they just went, no, no, we're fine and fell asleep. Yeah, we know they fell asleep as a young boy called Robert Heyman. No, sorry. As a young (laughs) boy... Philip Duke. (laughs) I just read it wrong. As a young boy called Robert Hayam had to knock the residents up the following morning to tell them that cracks had had begun forming in the cornice above them and that they really needed to leave the area, even if it's just for the day. Not saying move out, just go on a day trip. Is is it still, like, raging storm? No, that... Or is that substantial... That's why the cracks are forming. Yeah, the, the storm subsided. We've now got pale winter sunlight. 
you know, this starting to get the plunk, plunk, plunk of these nice icy raindrops yeah. just falling oh, onto the roofs of the buildings. And, it, you know, he's this young lad, Robert, he's gone out. He's like, look, I'm not saying come back here to sleep. That's fine. But for the love of all that is holy, will you just come with me down the road? Yeah. <laughs> just Just a little ways down the road for a bit. Just while we see, let this situation play out, that'd right. be good. I'm going to do the other side. Mm. No. <laughs> That's pretty much it. You're all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the residents again refused to budge. And Robert was actually in the process of trying to drag two women bodily from their house when he heard a low, agonised, grumbling sound. Something like that, yeah. Okay. Now, luckily for Robert, he was in possession of a sense of self-preservation and he decided he'd done all he could do to help the people of Boulder Row and he got the hell out of there, like, rapidly. Just in the nick of time, cracks behind him, he does one of those big jumps. Mm, if he did, nothing would have happened because it was actually um, about 10.15am as that pale winter sunlight was starting to crest the hill uh, that the corners finally gave way. So it's 20 foot of compacted ice... Mm. snow is now falling 500 foot onto seven of the cottages which happened to contain 15 of the stubborn residents and they were hit by a wall of snow i mean it's their fault and we know what happened because a lot of the people of lewis were watching you know they they with that sort of horror they've got the big winter coats on scarves mittens and they've all got a cup of tea they're all sat on the as a safe distance yeah just watching it from the Mm. side so the cottages were reported to have been thrown up in the air as if an explosion had happened below them before the remains were swallowed up by the avalanche as soon as they were sure that the avalanche was over the good people of lewis headed straight to boulder row and began digging though this could have been an attempt to clear the road which had also been blocked as much as it was a rescue effort i don't see it as a rescue effort as yeah because they've tried to save him preemptively bunches of times but from the descriptions of the what happened you, you know it's reasonable to assume that that's now 15 iced corpses that you've got there yeah however within a few hours it's, it's dibs isn't it it's dibs on any anything you find any, any coinage well within within a few hours six people have been rescued alive including two fannies from the same family. And they just slept straight through the whole event. <laughs> oh, no, no. This was not fun <laughs> for them. Uh, the grandmother, Fanny Sherlock, and two-year-old Fanny Bokes survived and were pulled out of their cottage. And it was just one of those quirks of where they happened to be when the avalanche hit had enough structural integrity that it provided a small pocket Yeah, they were both leaning the on, on the chimney stack. Mm. You know, just enough that they could drag them out. Uh the rescuers then managed to dig down to find a very cold John Bridgman, who had luckily managed to get wedged under some thick wooden beams that were taking the weight of the snow and stopping him from being slowly asphyxiated to death. God. His rescuers almost had him free before the snow shifted again and John was buried again, this time along with a few of the good Samaritans who wouldn't have had to rescue him in the first place if he hadn't been so <laughs> bloody stubborn. <laughs> you can imagine what the next six hours stuck in a dark... Oh. Tiny ice cave would have been like with John. <laughs> with what was he called? John. Yeah, with John. 
<laughs> John just sat in the corner trying not to make eye contact has got the little matches just like <laughs> yeah, just trying to be a good guest a good companion <laughs> not trying to he's trying to not uh, rock the boat anymore he's letting out really silent <laughs> I just ca- cabbagey farts he's just sat there just, just looking oh no did you have a good Christmas <laughs> so sorry about all of this <laughs> just staring daggers at John like you arsehole but they did all the second rescue team did manage to get out both John and the first rescue team which is nice but it had taken so long to dig John out the second time um, that it was starting to get dark and the temperature began to dip even further John pointed out where he thought another person might be um, and they did try and dig but unfortunately no more survivors were found they dug straight through his body (laughs) oh god (laughs) be terrible wouldn't it Basically, just frozen it, and so brittle that you're you just going... sharp when you've used a, a, a spade for so long mm. it gets the sharp edge to it right <laughs> just go straight through yeah you don't oh. even know luckily that didn't happen they, they did... were already dead well yeah and they did manage to find the remaining eight bodies they'd all died of asphyxiation having been crushed to death in a pitch black whirling maelstrom of freezing cold snow it was not a nice way to die and it was completely avoidable seven of the victims were buried in a single communal grave that was funded by donations from the townspeople they also funded that's why (laughs) yeah because it was that's why they were all buried together because it was funded by the people that were pissed off that they tried to save them well these were people who couldn't you know they had no money set by for their own funeral costs so it's well we've got you know we can't just leave them there um they also funded a plaque that is still there to this day, commemorating what is the single worst avalanche disaster in British history. A record Lewis continues to hold in spite of Scotland regularly recording between 200 to 300 avalanches every year. <laughs> so, I mean, they kind of planned. That's the, that's the thing. It's such a rarity of an event mm. that you can't really blame the people for being so stubborn. Because it, it's not in the living memory or in the history of well, it's just that, never the county. Happened. Yeah, it just it, it's such an impossibility. Um, if you feel like if this was a small village up in the mountains in the Highlands of Scotland, oh, it's completely they'd, they'd be conceivable. Gone. Yeah, but the, the they would have been you know oh I know how this goes because although well, I they, say before it even like snowed t- to that point they would have gone because mm. they would have. They just know from the Because there are, there are regular the deaths in Scotland from avalanches. It's just that they've never actually hit eight at once yeah. like they did in Lewis. Um, but that's not the end of the story. There's one more little fact for you. Because... Lewis Carroll was... <laughs> well, this, is, this was the Victorian age, yeah? Yeah. And the one thing we know about the Victorians is they were morbid as get out. They loved a bit of gallows humour. They loved, you know turning up to the scenes of disasters they loved commemorating stuff and true to form less than four years after the disaster the row of houses was replaced by a pub the pub was named the snowdrop inn is it still there yep wow so they went with a pun (laughs) related to the deaths of eight people that had happened Four years before. That's it. It's it's just four Four years. years. (laughs) (laughs) Enough time had passed. Four years. You know, 
Fanny Bokes, who'd survived, she was still only Living just started there. school. Yeah. <laughs> Four years. <laughs> because, as I've said, Victorians, they are always going to find a way to profit off death and disaster. And like I said, the pub is still there to this day as a, rem- as a reminder of the unique record the town has held to this point for nearly 200 years. And as far as I know, COVID willing, it will be opening up. Mm. And if you're ever back down Brighton Way, you can go to the Snowdrop Inn. All right. So there Are you going to go there? Well, you know, it's on my list of if I'm ever in the area. I mean, you've promised me a lot of things on this podcast. Because there's also um, the pub, is it the Boar's Head? The pub in the New Forest where um, the lava lamp idea came from. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go to that one if I'm ever there. That's 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 on the list of... Basically, it's a list of pubs to go and drink in is what I'm doing. I'm compiling a list of pubs. But I can, I can parlay my alcoholism into... No, I'm here for historical reasons. You know, the Fisherman's Rest. Another. In, in uh, Birkdale. I must drink for every single one of the lifeboat men who died. But why does it have to be a treble whiskey, Joe? For everyone. In commemoration. Yes, I've got um, my my pub tour so far takes in Southport, the New Forest, yeah. and Lewis. I mean, it's, a it's quite, quite a gap between the first it's two. It's a big wide triangle. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm going to fill New Forest in... and Lewis is within the same sort. Yeah, of I'm going to I'm going to start filling in some of those gaps with yeah. with other ones. I need more pub stories. I mean, what's adjacent in, in that triangle? Oh no, there's one in. Um, there's one in London as well that I covered, um, where a king's head was literally buried. We well, can do it on the way back. Did he have a testicle mustache? <laughs> no, no, he was untesticle. Didn't take off, did it? No, just it that, didn't. That, that one crew of people thought it was hilarious. Well, see, the first time I read it, it's just like they attached his testicles to his head, and I immediately thought sort of like as earrings. <laughs> That's yeah. where I went first, and then I had to know more, and <laughs> That's when I found out it was like around his mouth oh your search history is obscene <laughs> y- yeah you, testicle mustache <laughs> well um i'm writing an episode that focuses i mean i've covered a lot of slavery so that's in there um i'm covering prostitution at the moment for for an episode so there's a lot of um you know sort of georgian prostitution laws oh god how did prostitutes solicit johns during the you know yeah during the regency <laughs> courtesan prostitute difference question mark you do a lot for us now during the previous episode i did with jack covering john punch we posed the question do cows get placed on the lazy susan when they're being sold at market for better viewing and we actually received a reply from sarah lightburn who informed me that sadly no that is not the case However, to make me feel better, she did send me a video of an automated milking system which can load what appears to be up to 3,000 cows onto a massive horizontal Ferris wheel designed system. I watched the entire seven minute video and I'll post a link on our Instagram page because honestly, it's incredible. So thank you very much to Sarah Lightburn and hopefully from now on we'll get more answers to our uh, random questions during episodes. Anyway, bye for now.